Hi, everyone. This is Sydney Otomanchuk from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Our real science sessions focus on connecting with the researchers, educators, and industry professionals from all walks of life that make scientific discovery and innovation possible. We talk about their work, their passions, their pitfalls, why they got into science in the first place, and where the road lies ahead. Today I'm talking with Dr. Oliver Waring, MITAC's Industrial Postdoctoral Fellow and UBC Killam Laureate in the Department of Cellular and Physiological Sciences at the University of British Columbia. His research aims to develop next-generation radiotelemetry devices that monitor the cardiovascular function of small and large animal models to try and better enable us to generate safe and effective translational therapies to restore cardiovascular function following spinal cord injury. Welcome, Oliver. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to be here. Recently at the American Physiology Summit, you won the Inside Scientific Science Communications Content Creator Kit. Congratulations. As our first question today, how did you enjoy the inaugural summit and what was your favorite part of the four-day long meeting? Um, so, so really, Sydney, I think the, the best thing about APS Summit, for me at least, is, is the diverse range of, of disciplines that are on offer at, at that conference. Um, you know, it's pretty rare to have um, such a broad array of, of different sub-disciplines of physiological research uh, on, on display um, and such a large audience. Uh, particularly for me, I, I have pretty broad interests, um, and my work today actually spans quite a few of the different APS sections. So it's really fantastic to have this um, smorgasbord, if you like, of amazing physiology research to choose from. Um, and like I alluded to, the, the, just the volume of attendees and its profile in the community uh, makes it a great opportunity to maximize your impact with um, past, present, future colleagues and collaborators from around the world, um, as well as learn about cutting-edge technologies and resources provided by the vendors and industry partners exhibiting in the Physio Hub. Um, and then obviously, with any conference, another highlight is networking and catching up with friends during um ceremonies and all the different social mixes and of course afterwards at bars and restaurants near the convention center and obviously long beach in california is a particularly nice spot to be doing that absolutely yeah it looked like a really wonderful event and like you said having everybody get together again to in person and um, all around the world people coming there to um, share their research is is amazing so absolutely yeah. yeah so glad that you enjoyed it Let's get to know what shaped you into the researcher you are today. So where did you grow up and how did your youth influence your path and passion towards science? So I grew up in a relatively small town in, uh, in England called Macclesfield and it's pretty rural um, and I, I definitely grew up with an appreciation for the environment and uh, the natural world and wildlife. Um, my parents love animals and, and my brother and I grew up around them and we'd watch and identify, for example, the birds that would feed and bathe in our garden or whatever and, and trying to tell the difference between different species and things like that. And my grandfather was also a, a really keen, I suppose you'd call him a hobbyist or an amateur scientist. Um, and he'd teach me about his passions and they would range from 
you know, astronomy to botany to entomology to arachnology. And you really sparked my curiosity in scientific method um, and how the world around us works, uh, particularly the diversity of animals and uh, the amazing places that some of them manage to live and, and how they can do that. Um, I was also really lucky at school to have had some really incredibly inspiring teachers that helped nurture that curiosity. Um, and I got a huge deal of satisfaction learning how to figure things out um, using scientific skills and knowledge. And, and those teachers really helped to develop that interest and passion for the sciences. And, and that's what really ultimately led me to pursue them at, at university. That's great. That does sound like everything kind of lined itself up perfectly for, you know, your um, PhD research, which we'll talk about soon and um, your current research today, too. Uh, so that's really lovely. You have an interesting array of research interests. Where did you study your bachelor and PhD degrees? What piqued your interest in the relationship between cardiovascular physiology and the autonomic nervous system, and specifically your transition from your PhD research to what you're studying today? Yeah, so um, it, it's been quite a long and winding road, but it's been a really rewarding one. So um, I did my bachelor's degree at the University of Manchester in zoology and um, was really fortunate to, to have a lot of opportunities to do field work um, as well as professional experience placement. So um, lots of opportunities to, to delve into different um, different fields of research over that time. So my first research project was, was funnily enough, in spider behavior and looking at the, the mating dancers of, of a species of jumping spider that, that does these little dances to impress females and, and have access to mating. Um, so that was kind of an interesting start to research. Um, and then in my third year of, of my degree, I was very fortunate to work at the University of North Texas for, for a year um, in the lab of Dr. Dane Crossley. Um, looking at essentially the developmental plasticity of physiological function in reptiles, so uh, specifically crocodilians and turtles. Um, and that research was really trying to figure out the effects of uh, low oxygen during developmental um, timeframes on uh, later life physiological function particularly cardiovascular function. And so reptiles bury their eggs um, when they, when they um, lay, lay a nest. And uh, over the time that these eggs are buried and the embryos inside them are, are developing, they consume oxygen in that nest. And so within that chamber, that, that buried chamber, um, oxygen in that nest depletes over time. And so by the end of embryonic development, these animals are, are actually quite oxygen limited or hypoxic. So we're in, we were interested in, in what the effects of that are long term. And through that work, I got exposed to a lot of um, surgical techniques, instrumentation of the cardiovascular system. Um, and, and so that project was really the, the start of what has become a, a central interest of mine in terms of the influence of hypoxia, this low oxygen on cardiovascular function. And, and that really led me to, to pursue a PhD in the lab of Dr. Graham Scott at the University of McMaster uh, University. Sorry. Um, and that was looking at how hypoxia um, or living in a hypoxic environment for your whole lifetime can affect your cardiovascular function and how animals that have uh, specifically adapted at high altitude um, have evolved these mechanisms to cope with that challenging environment. So my thesis was looking at um, the 
cardiovascular circulatory adaptations to high altitude hypoxia in, in deer mice that live uh, at the top of the Rockies in, in the United States. Um, and that really was looking at plasticity of, of physiological function in response to hypoxia and comparing high altitude populations to low altitude populations to figure out the role of uh, genetic adaptation over evolutionary time. Um, so looking at the cardiovascular function and, and its control in that work it led me to, to be interested in those systems of control um, so autonomic nervous system, so the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems control of cardiovascular function. Um, and actually, funnily enough, through an inside scientific webinar, um, I became aware of my current supervisor's work. So Dr. Chris West um, here at the University of British Columbia. Um, and so he's, his, interested in, his interest sorry, is in um, cardioautonomic function in the setting of spinal cord injury. And so in patients with spinal cord injury, those systems of cardiovascular control are damaged, and particularly the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and so these these patients, unfortunately, suffer from uh, chronically low blood pressure or hypotension, as well as instances of incredibly high heart rates and dangerous spikes in blood pressure that can even be fatal. Um, so, so now I'm interested in that. And, and funnily enough, actually, another kind of line or common thread through the work is, is that hypoxia seems to be a, an actual promising um, way of, of enhancing uh, sympathetic nervous system's influence on cardiovascular function in the setting of spinal cord injury, which is work that we're involved in now. Wow, what what a journey from uh, spiders to reptiles to deer mice, and now um, ultimately into humans with spinal cord injury. So that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, I want to ask you about your title um, of a MITAX Industrial Postdoctoral Fellow. What is this exactly, and how has achieving this helped in pursuing your research goals? Yeah, so um, another interest of mine, um, and this has developed over uh, the, the different research projects that I've been involved in, um, is, is technology and methodological development, um, really to help us better um, gain uh, really good physiological data using fewer, happier animals. Um, and in particular, for many years now, I've been interested in biotelemetry and um, and while it's been around for, for decades, there are certain things that we're still unable to measure um, just in terms of the technology that's on offer. Um, and the MyTax Fellowship helps support uh, my partnership essentially with industry to develop telemetry devices um, that will allow us to measure a suite of cardiovascular indices that we just haven't been able to measure before. Um, and these are really important because uh, these devices, particularly because we can measure physiological function in animals without the complication of, of anesthesia, uh, handling, tethering. Um, and so it's really a great tool to use to get um, really relevant physiological function in animals that are you know, doing their thing and, and um, at metabolic rates that are, that are relevant. Um, and the other nice thing about this funding is it, it supports uh, me gaining industry experience that is traditionally difficult to gain from the academic setting. 
Um, so, you know, skill sets that, that you might not ordinarily be exposed to from product design to engineering and commercialization and um, marketing too. So, so it's a really good opportunity to gain some, some skills that are traditionally not that uh, attainable in the academic setting. Yeah, that does sound like a really great opportunity and the industry um, side of things too, I, I know is very important for um, a lot of researchers to learn because um, that is a whole other side, a whole other <laughs> ballpark. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you also won the 2022 Killam Postdoctoral Fellowship Award recently. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Um, what do you hope to achieve with this? Well, the, the Killam Award is really one of the most prestigious postdoctoral awards available at the University of British Columbia. So I'm um, very honored and grateful to have had my work recognized by, by the University of British Columbia and the Killam Trust that provide the award. Um, and really my goal of the work that, that's supported through that funding is to explore ways in which we might optimize um, these potential uh, hypoxia therapies that I alluded to before in spinal cord injury. Um, and so we, a lot of our work is done in rodent models. Uh, so we have rats. Um, and so the work that's funded or supported through uh, the Killam Award is, is to really tease out the mechanisms through which those hypoxia therapies work and, and optimize them. Uh, another great benefit of that award is, is offering financial support to travel to conferences such as the APS Summit. Um, and to build impact and connections that are, will hopefully benefit the work and lead to some exciting new possibilities in terms of um, asking the right questions and being best equipped to answer them properly. So, so yeah, it's, it's great to get that recognition and support to do, um, to do world-class research. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, good point, too, about networking. You never know who you're going to meet or see on a webinar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And although wonderful work you may have not done, had you not um, made those connections and done the networking. Exactly. And I, I will say that, you know, coming from environmental physiology in, in animals that live at high altitude, I never dreamed of being able to contribute meaningfully to spinal cord injury research. I just never did. And without... Honestly, without the Inside Scientific webinar that Dr. Chris West gave that I saw, I wouldn't be in this field and I wouldn't be doing this research. And so it's, I think, making those connections between fields is huge. Um, and I, I really do commend Inside Scientific for, for providing those opportunities. It's really great. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, all right. So you've been publishing a lot lately. Um, how do the results from several papers that have come out um, not too long ago uh, impacted your future work? And what would you say comes next for you? Yeah, so so some of the, the latest research really was heavy on the telemetry side of things. And so looking at um, how routine function of, of animals living at high altitude, this is from the PhD at least, um, how that physiology is is modulated by um, by these challenging conditions, and I guess the the main point of this is that a lot of the stories, a lot of the hypotheses that we initially came up with, um, and we're trying to to test, 
you know, we, we provided answers to those using the telemetry, but really the, what became the interesting story from those experiments was not what we hypothesized. It was not the measurements that we were really interested in, in figuring out. It was some of these additional measures that, that we, you know, just happened to be able to collect at the same time because that's what the technology did. And, and so, for example, one of, one of the last papers that was in um, Proceedings of the Royal Society B, it, the, the main story there was that body temperature differences can have really strong effects on um, the metabolic cost of thermoregulation, particularly in high-altitude environments, and how high-altitude mice have evolved a lower body temperature to as a, essentially an energy-saving mechanism um, in this metabolically challenging habitat that they live in. So, you know, that was nothing to do with what my main question was, which was all to do with cardiovascular function. But because the technology could, could measure um, temperature, we were able to, to find this really interesting um, and I think impactful uh, finding. So, so I guess it's a reminder in a way that, and, and this is where it, it ties into to what I'm doing now in the future. Um, it, it's really a reminder that we're somewhat biased in, in our interpretations of studies and, and what we can actually get out of them just by the limitations of, of the technology. And so, you know, we were lucky that we were measuring body temperature, but what about all of the other things that we could be measuring and we're losing resolution on, on, um, what is going on in an experiment just because we're not measuring those things. So I think, you know, that that's obviously tied into the development of devices that allow us to measure additional things um, that are of, of huge value. Um, and that's really what I'm, I'm probably going to have as a common theme in, in the future is um, the use of telemetry, obviously to, to get, physiologically relevant data in animals that are behaving as animals should, um, but also to, to help us expand our toolkit um, of what we can measure uh, in those experiments. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential in, in leveraging nature solutions to physiological problems as well. So, um, you know, tying or bridging that gap between my PhD work in, in comparative and evolutionary physiology to, to now applied research that, that has clinical consequences, hopefully. Um, there's a lot of unrealized potential in, in utilizing experiments in, in traditional or non-traditional model organisms. Um, and, you know, to talk of APS again, just very quickly as we wrap up, I think there's a lot of people in the American Physiological Society that do appreciate that unrealized potential. Um, but I think we, we can all do, do more to spread the word and develop interest in collaborating between basic or comparative physiology and more applied fields. So, so that's another goal of, of mine as I move into the future and, and what I do next. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you and what comes next so thank you so much yeah thank you so much for your time and your insights today it was a pleasure to have you with us pleasure's all mine thanks again for the opportunity to chat yeah it's great
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Science and that you'll tune in to future episodes where scientists just like you answer questions about their life, their work, and share insights into what it's like to be doing real science. Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>